All right, while our kids are moving out to their learning centers, why don't we pause? We'll, we'll bow our heads. Let's ask God for help as we look into the third lesson here in the story of Gideon today. God, we're opening up a really old book today. And we do this every week. And I ask that we would have your insight. These things the apostles said were laid down for us as examples of how we're supposed to walk in you. And so help us, Lord, to get that today. And may you be our teacher. May our hearts be wide open. And maybe there's something here that will be life-changing. And we're going to walk out of this room different than the way we walked in. And I pray that that would happen. We're, we're recognizing you, God, as the final change agent. And so we're calling on you to be our, our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, GPS. GPS is pretty cool, right? I mean, it's changed the ball game. Do you remember, like, back in the olden days, how this would happen? If you're trying to explain directions to a friend, usually it's a 10 to 25-minute conversation filled with obscure compass uh, references, which no one knows anymore. North, what's that? Right? And, and also references to, you know, landmarks and, and that sort of thing. And so a conversation would be like this. So this would be typical. So uh, you go right at the red barn, but not the gray barn that happens first. It's right at the red, red barn, just before that at the big tree. So red barn, right? Right, near a, a big tree. Wait, do you mean uh, another right at the big tree? No, I mean correct, right at red barn. Right. Right. Correct. Correct. Then north on 63rd. North is right? Yes, north is correct, the correct way to go. No, I mean, isn't going right on 63rd going south? No. Well, unless you're going from the east and then you turn left on 63rd. But it's always north. Unless you don't find the big tree. What? And then this whole thing, right? And you're just going on forever, like in these conversations. And then after getting totally lost, you're a half hour late and you have to call. And what's the first thing they say? Where are you, man? And you say, if I knew that, I wouldn't call you. Right? This is the whole point. Is GPS has saved us from all that. Saved us from all that nonsense. Telling us exactly, exactly where to go. Now, isn't that what we want for our lives? We want to know the directions. We want to know exactly where to go. We want guidance. We just want to be told exactly what to do. Well, in this third episode from the life of Gideon, this is the crux of the story. Gideon wants guidance. He wants certainty. That may be a more important word here. He wants certainty from God about the path that he's supposed to take. So he asks God, at some point in the story we're going to get to, for signs. But first, let's talk about God's word to Gideon. This is fascinating. You pick up the story after Gideon has torn down the Baal altars. And we said last week that that was him dealing with the oppressor within. Before he could deal with his great call, which is to deal with the outward oppressor, which was the Midianites, he had to deal with the oppressor within, idolatry. So now he gets to Midianites who are yearly invading the land and, and raping and pillaging and leaving the Israelites destitute and desperate. So that's their political situation. And here we pick up the story. It's found in Judges chapter 6, verse 33. You can look at the side screens for the verse. The Bible says, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and Ketamites gathered together, crossed over the Jordan, and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So Midian and an alliance now, an alliance of bullies, uh, uh, assemble against Israel who want to crush them and expel them from the land. And that's interesting news given the topic this morning. Right? So the topic this morning, the subtext here is God's will. What does God want? 
So this is fascinating. Think about what, what's happening in the political situation of that country, or any country for that matter, in, in the context of what does God want. I mean, if God's omnipotent, God's omniscient, He sees all these things, He can do whatever He wants. So isn't everything that's happening? Well, what's happening must be God's will in some sense, right? Well, think about this. Is it God's will that Midian invaded? Well, God's allowed it. We know that from last week. He's allowed it for discipline, but that's not God's overarching plan. That's not what we would say His moral will. We've already had that revealed. God's overarching design regarding the promised land and regarding the Israelites who are in it was spelled out long ago, first in His word to Abraham. This is hundreds of years before Gideon. We know God's overarching design. His design was simply this. To Abraham, I will give you a people, and I will give you a blessing, and I will give you a land. And then this is doubled down on, confirmed again hundreds of years after Abraham through Moses, same thing. To this people, I will give many descendants a blessing and a land. So now we have it in triplicate because Gideon gets this message we heard two weeks ago, which is essentially, God is with you, mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have to do what? To make Israel secure in the land. You will defeat Midian as if it were one man. Now, this is direction, friends. And it's direction before Gideon ever gets the sign. Before he ever gets a sign. Now, this is really important for you. Because I bet you a lot of people in this room are right now struggling with a pretty major life decision. Like something really big is in front of you. And you're saying to yourself, where's God? Where's the, desi- where's the, de- uh, the direction? I want direction. Well, let's, uh, let's first realize, friends, that God has already given us some direction right now. He's given us grand and overarching designs for everybody's life. And what's fascinating about that is that that applies to you, and you don't need a sign for that stuff. Listen, you get direction first, first, by asking, God, what is it that you've already revealed that you may want for me and for the world? What is it that that God just wants generally? Now, I don't know where you go for that. Like, if you're not a follower of Jesus here, I don't know where you go for that. You know, Esquire magazine, you know, some online blog spot that you go to that you think is really savvy. I mean, where do you go to figure out what, what would God want for my life generally? I'll tell you what Christians do, right? So Christians will go to Jesus. Like, they go to Jesus. Here is this guy who predicted his own death and resurrection and gave convincing proofs of having come back from the grave. So the Christian logically just kind of goes, I'm going to go with what that guy said. So that's kind of the way we, we look at it, you know? So like Jesus then becomes our GPS. He, he knows where to go. So we have surrendered our best thinking for his. We've made an exchange there. I might have really um, set common sense in a certain area. I've decided because of who Jesus is to switch that and now I'm just going to accept him as GPS. So I'm going to go where he goes. I'm going to say what he says. I'm going to do the things that he calls generically for his followers to do. When you do that, you might be shocked at how many perplexing questions about your future and your direction are already settled. In other words, it's off the table, decisions done, no more agonizing. 
And by the way, this just confirms an excellent talk that was given at our church in spring, um, um, 20-something. Ryan Epperson talked about this from this stage. And he talked about this idea that the lesson is that God's explicit word to us shows us the most basic kind of guidance that God can give, which is in simply presenting us a, uh, a blueprint for living. And this is what happens when you take up Jesus as your GPS. Things like be like Jesus become like really important to you. Seek this virtue. Know your responsibilities as Jesus defined them to your wife, your children, your government, your church, your neighbor. And here's what will amaze you. I'll say it again. If you say, you don't just sing it like Kelly Clarkson, Jesus take the wheel. But if you say it and mean it, Jesus take the wheel. God is going to guide you in ways that you never imagined by doing stuff that you thought maybe wasn't really as important as the, thing, as the end game where you wanted to get to. You wanted a decision for X. And here's God molding your character, altering your relationships, limiting some of your options. That, that is part of the agony for some of you. Is I got all these options, but if you follow Jesus, He's your GPS. He takes half of them or more off the table. And that just reduces some of the stress and anxiety of, oh, I, the world is my oyster. Well, a lot of you, the idea of having the world is your oyster and all these options in front of you is overwhelming. Jesus might limit some of those. Other times, he'll open up doors that you considered closed. He'll adjust your attitudes. He'll inform your priorities in sex, in money, in power, in relationships, in parenting, in gifting, you name it. And you never know where you might be and what amazing direction you will get for your life without any signs at all, just following the way of Jesus. I mean, speaking from personal experience, you might turn around to be married to a foreigner, be living in a country you didn't grow up in, in a career your father never planned for you, raising children you didn't spawn. <laughs> and if you polled me when I was 17 years old, I would have said, that is not the direction of my life. It has become the direction of my life. And mostly, mostly because of God's word. Like just following Jesus in the simplest ways. Get out of debt, tell the truth, explore your gifting. Develop wisdom. Be equally yoked. Submit to authority. Deny yourself. Love God. Love the church. Love the world. Just following that stuff. So some of you, just like, let's frame this. Some of you are waiting for the sign. But God's already given you His word on the matter and maybe you're ignoring it. And why would you be ignoring it? May I be so bold as to suggest that maybe no sign's coming for you until you are ready to be all about what Jesus was about and what he already spoke about your particular situation. Can you believe that when Jesus said love your enemies, that is a sign for you about the complex relational um, chaos that you must navigate tomorrow? Can you believe that when Jesus said what God has joined together, let no man separate, might just be a sign for you in the marriage crisis that you're in? Can you believe that when Jesus said, in the beginning God made them male and female, that just might be the sign you've been looking for, for the outworking of your sexual identity? Can you believe that when Jesus said, repent, deny yourself, these are signs for you. When Jesus said, believe the gospel, ask, seek, knock, this is a sign for you. When he said, enter through the narrow door, this is a sign for you. This is a signpost telling you the way to go. Can you believe that some signs have already been given. Well, friend, can you admit that maybe you are looking for a sign in part because you don't like the explicit 
word revealed to you in God's Son. So, not liking that, we're looking for signs. It goes something like this. God, what do you want? Where do you want me to go? Please just give me a sign. Well, Jesus said, X, that crimps my style. What else you got? Something like that. And then we'll proceed to rely 100% on the inner light to figure out what God is really saying to us. And that brings us back to Gideon, by the way. Look at what happens next. Next, God's Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, uh, the author says, uh, enveloped Gideon. I love that word. The Spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon and he blew the ram's horn and the Abizrites, those are his clan members, the Abizrites rallied behind him. So God is adding something now to the, the direction portfolio and he will for you too. So he's adding his spirit. So he, with his word, he speaks to Gideon's mind. With his spirit, God speaks to Gideon's heart. And here in this verse, you see, with an internal charge, a supernatural boldness falls on Gideon and he makes the call to arms and maybe like our dramas, like he was hoping that wouldn't work. But nevertheless, he falls the inner nudge, the urge of God's spirit. And by the way, do you notice how perfectly that inner voice matches God's prior given instruction? The word and the spirit match. Like God's not in, in competition with himself. So expect that when the spirit nudges you in a direction, it will not be in contradiction to what Jesus has already revealed. And I think we fall into error here. And now I'm speaking to the followers of Jesus in the room. Listen, a lot of times, we who follow Jesus will tend to think that most of the decisions that we have to make are of this kind, of this type, where we need to figure out, we've well, got to discern the inner voice of the Holy Spirit. What, where is he telling us to go? What's he telling uh, me to do? Most decisions, I will say, are not of this kind. And we tend to make them often of this kind, and something, sometimes for selfish reasons. Um, I read uh, this week about a woman who was a shut-in and um, she saw that her nurse had left a substantial amount of money on her dresser and it was by accident that she had done that and so this person told someone later who interviewed her about the situation that she had an impression and the inner light, the inner voice had told her that she needed to take that money to express that Bible verse that maybe you've heard before that says all things are yours and so she just took it in conformity with the voice on the inside. But does this match in any way the instruction or will or design of Jesus for your life? No. And so I mean discerning the Spirit's nudge can be so subjective and this is where we go like haywire. But listen, let's be honest and we can also go haywire on the word thing too. You can take explicit teaching of Jesus and you can go sideways on that if you want. I was listening to a talk this week and someone said, yeah, you know, uh, if you listen to Jesus say, I have not come to bring peace but a sword, you could fully understand that you know, Christians could develop a warmongering culture. And this person, of course, isn't taking the first steps toward understanding Jesus in context, in the context of his whole teaching, in the context of, of, of the gospel overall, of the apostles' teaching that brought light to that whole thing in the context of that particular passage. I mean, the person's not doing any of that work. But that's what some people do. You know, they'll just play magic Bible. They don't do any work to really understand it. They just want some, a, a magic talisman to justify the next thing they want to do. So by the way, friends, because we can goof all those things up, we should not be too critical of Gideon 
when he seeks a sign. And a lot of Christians are. It's like, dude, you got so much help from God, you go and you need, you need more signs. We're very critical. You shouldn't, we should not be too critical, and I'll tell you why. Because though the word is more objective guidance, we can still read uh, things, uh, we can read the word wrongly, we can read the spirit wrongly. So it helps to get, here's a word, multiple confirmations. And that's what's really going on for Gideon. He's getting confirmation from God's explicit instruction. He's getting confirmation from that inner nudge of the spirit that has enveloped him. And that's kind of like GPS. I mean, GPS, you guys know, you know, the eggheads here know, it works by triangulation, right? GPS doesn't work unless you can, be, you can be found by three fixed point in space. And when your distance is triangulated from those three fixed points, we know exactly where you are within a meter on the surface of planet Earth. And then we can communicate reliable guidance and direction to you because we triangulate your position. Well, Gideon got the word from the messenger of God. He got the Holy Spirit's nudge. Here is a third kind of confirmation. God's circumstances, I'll call them. Let's keep reading. So we read, the Abyssalites rallied to him. He sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh. That's a tribe in Israel and he, who rallied behind him. He also sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. What are those names? Those are names of tribes of Israel. In other words, his Jewish brothers. So he sends the word out and what happens? They also came out to meet him such that now he has a pretty substantial army as we're going to find out next week. And there's a lot of men who have risen to the call. So, so Gideon's tribe members, maybe in contradiction to what he thought would happen, are actually rallying to the call to arms and not just members of his clan, the Abyssalites, but also all of the Jews in the surrounding tribes. The word spreads, rise up. Now friends, these are his circumstances. This is what's happening around him. And special circumstances constitute a third way that God directs. So we had God's word, right, to Gideon, which agrees with prior revelation. God wants Israel secure in the promised land so they can bring in Messiah someday. We had next God's spirit come on him, which is the inner courage, the inner nudge to step forward into some faith-based action in congruence with the word. And now we have God's circumstances, which are special opportunities or openings which wouldn't normally occur. That's why we call them God's circumstances. See, A.C. listen. God is moving all the time. Will you see it? God is moving in circumstances all the time. Now, we don't have to see Him in every like, little leaf that blows across your your path or whatever, but God is working in special God's circumstances all the time if we'll just... See it. And when you do see it, those special openings, those special opportunities, those special happenstances, here's your job. Join God where He's working in this world. You join Him where you see God's circumstances evolving. And then look out. Because you never know now what God will do through one faith-filled step of obedience. I have some interesting example of this in AC3's recent history. In 2006, uh, AC3 sent a group of leaders to the Leadership Summit. We do this every year. And it's just good leadership training. And there was a conference. Uh, and at this conference there, a pastor uh, interviewed U2's uh, Bono, right? And so this, you know, mega star. 
and uh, Pastor Bill Hybels was super interested in him. They had a prior friendship, and uh, they're super interested in what Bono would you know, say to a bunch of leaders. And uh, this is just fascinating because um, at some point in the interview, Hybels turns to Bono and says, listen, you've got the ear of 70,000 church leaders around the world. And everybody knows Bono. At, at that point, I mean, at least most people know that he had been outspoken about his Christian faith, but also outspoken about the fact that he doesn't like the church. Likes Jesus, doesn't like the church. Sound familiar? Okay, so there's Bono, and this is a very interesting perspective from this megawatt superstar. What would you say to a group of collected church leaders, Mr. U2? And here's what he said. At this moment, there is going on one of the greatest humanitarian crises of all time, certainly of our time. AIDS and poverty have gripped the entire continent of Africa enveloping and affecting 500 million people. And I have one question. Where is the church? Whoa. That preening little Jesus pointed his bony finger in all our faces and dared to call out the church. Well, a group of us AC3 leaders were gripped by that. And we knew, I mean, it's not like we didn't know God's word calls us to care for the least of these. We had been, you know, involved in compassion in our local context for years and years and years. We'd already developed some international work in Brazil at that point. But, but, and we knew that Jesus had called us to the world. It's, it's an international thing to go and make disciples of the nations. But now, in this weird little happenstance, where some, you know, megawatt, world-renowned rock star points his bony finger in our face, we feel the spiritual tug to listen to a bold challenge that happens to be in congruence with a word priorly given by Jesus himself. Okay, so there you have it. God's word and God's spirit giving a, a profound nudge. But then came circumstances. When we moved, heaven moved too. And so we just made, our, we made a decision then and there. We're going to Africa. How are we going to do that? I have no idea. We're going to Africa. We've got we to see what God is doing there. This is what... This is the great need of our time. Where is the church? We can be there and be the church. We can be the church to the least of these. And so we blew the horn. We, you know, it's like Gideon, we put the horn to our lips. We didn't know what would happen after that, right? We just, we're calling the all call and we're going to Africa. And if someone had asked me, well, where, what are you going to do there? We'd have said, we don't know. It's a vision trip. We knew nothing about Africa. Everything I knew about Africa had been formed by Sally Struthers specials from the 1980s. Right? So all I thought was, you know, Africa was just a barren desert from top to bottom filled with children where you could see their ribs with flies buzzing around their face, landing on their mouths. That was Africa. And that was the only thing I would know about an entire continent. We land in Addis Ababa, by the way, in Ethiopia, I think. Ethiopia, this is where Sally Struthers did her thing. It must be like a big desert with everybody is starving. We landed in a beautiful city. It was green. It was filled with happy people. And, uh, and uh, it was kind of cold. <laughs> it was just really, we knew nothing. We knew nothing about this entire continent. So we just knew that God was moving us to go. Well, when we blew the horn, uh, stuff happened. A donor, two months after that, so we just said, we're going to go made it known but you know we're not going like the church wasn't in a place to fund a trip like that no one personally had the coffers a donor unconnected to ac3 stepped forward and paid for the whole first exploratory trip just made it happen 
God directed just by the mandates of Jesus' word and a move of the Spirit and by how and when He providentially provisioned us. And we stepped forward and we went. And since then, by the way, tens of thousands, tens of thousands of dollars from AC3 have been moved to the great need, unleashed to the great need in that great continent. Well, specifically in Malawi. And uh, more important maybe than all of that is the 50 plus AC3ers who have gone and they have seen and touched and experienced the need to be Jesus to the least of these. And now we have friends around the world and we know people around there and it's more than just a nameless, faceless, you know, continent of gaping need. There's a, there's a partnership and they give us stuff and we give them stuff and we're brothers and sisters and it's the kingdom of God, friends. And God directed God's circumstances, they happen. That moment that Gideon presses the ram's horn to his lips, and now what happens? He's committed. And then you will not believe at that point what happens after that. The God's circumstances that now will flow out of faith-based action based in commitment to Jesus' mandate in this world. But now we get to a fourth thing. And this is the thing you're all interested in. The signs. The signs piece of the guidance puzzle. So we pick up the story. In verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel by my hand as you said, see, he knows God's word. If you will deliver Israel by my hand as you said, I will put a fleece of wool here on the threshing floor. If dew is only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will deliver Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. When he got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung dew out of it filling a bowl with water. So Gideon asks for a sign, and God indulges him and confirms for the sake of certainty, because he already knows what he's supposed to do. This is, ser- this is purely, at this point, for the sake of certainty. Now, we can break one of two ways when you read about Gideon asking God for a sign, a little test for the Almighty, and then God indulging him by um, moving through that test. So we can move one way. We can say, well, that means that God wants all of us to go around asking God to conduct little tests. You know, God, if you do this, then this. If you do this, then this. And maybe that's a prescription that some of you would get out of the text there today. Or, or and here's the other way that Christians tend to break on this. We can conclude that we, he should have never asked for signs because God had already given him his word, as he says. He already knows what God wants him to do. And so we could read into that a a real lack of faith and a lack of courage and a lack of boldness and maybe we're right about all that. We can break one of two ways. This is all bad. It's bad faith, man, to ask for signs. Or we could say, this is a prescription. You should always ask God for signs. Never do anything until you lay out a sign for God. Well, I think both views are too simple. To suggest that asking for signs is inherently bad faith ignores, first of all, that God answered him. In other words, God indulged his desire for the certainty of this sign. By the way, if you read a lot of the Bible, it ignores other places in Scripture where God asks people to ask for signs. So it ignores all that to think that it's always bad faith. It's not always bad faith to ask for signs. But at the same time, we know that Gideon's situation cannot be prescriptive for all of us. Why? Well, because for the simple reason that God sometimes is asked directly for a sign and wouldn't give it. People came to Jesus on more than one occasion and said, give us a sign. How do we know that you are, you know, 
God's son. And he says, I will not give this adulterous, wicked generation a sign. Of course, he gave many confirmations of his divinity and his power and who he was, his identity. But in those instances, when people are demanding signs, very often Jesus said, I'm not giving you a sign. So this is how we know it's more complicated, right? Than uh, just one or the other. So what's the key then? What's the key? If it can be sometimes good and sometimes bad, the key is relationship. See, for us, guidance is often not about relationship. Can you admit that? Very often when you're looking for guidance from God, you want direction. You don't want relationship. What you want is something. In the same way that sometimes you've asked God for a bigger house or a, or a truck or whatever. And I'm not denigrating any request that you might make to God. But sometimes direction and asking God for stuff are the exact same thing. You're asking God to be a vending machine for you. Just give me this thing. I, I, I need an end game. I've got stress and anxiety because I don't know where to go. Tell me right or left. And when you tell me, that's the thing I want. And then I'm good. I'm, we keep moving on. But you don't want relationship. And see, listen, friends. This is what God is into. <laughs> God is into relationship. In fact, I think he cares a whole lot less about whether you go to you know, UW or Wazoo or whatever may be great, great decision that stands in front of you. And I'm not saying that God doesn't care about that stuff, but he cares more. He cares more about relationship with you. So for God, that's what guidance is all about. So sometimes we need to ask, we need to ask when we're thinking about laying out a little test for God to confirm a direction here or there, we have to ask, what are your motives in the relationship? What's your motive in terms of relationship? See, if your heart is hard, a bunch of signs don't do you any good. They're not going to do you any good. Jesus knew that. That's why he was happy to show all sorts of confirmation for people whose hearts were hungry for God. And they got, quote unquote, signs, bucket loads of signs. And then there will be people who say, give us a sign. Nope. See, relationship, right? And sometimes you ask what your motive is in this thing, and that'll be instructive for you as to whether this is good or whether this is not good. If your heart is soft, then asking for a sign can be an expression of humility. God, I don't want to rush ahead of you. I don't want to lag behind. If our motives are selfish, of course, you understand that the sign that you choose, you know, the particular test that you choose for God can be the worst kind of wish fulfillment, right? I mean, that's pretty obvious. Oh, God, uh, if you want me to date this girl, then keep me alive for the next three seconds, otherwise strike me dead. One, one thousand, two, one thousand. Yes! Thank you. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? These are ridiculous sort of wish fulfillment signs. And friend, they realize, you know, you, they, they expose heart. So AC3, look, God has no interest in being a good luck charm. He has no interest in being your talisman. And he has no interest in being your magic eight ball. How many of you know what a magic eight ball is? Just so I know that reference is not a lot. Okay, okay. <laughs> Try again. Ask next week. Go for it. I mean, God has no interest, no interest in being your magic eight ball. He wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. He wants you to become a different kind of person, you understand? So that you are acting, you are an agent in the world. God's original uh, uh, declaration over the human race is, they will be my imagers. He wants you to image him on planet earth. 
And that requires that you grow up in Him. That requires you reflect Him. That you imbibe and bake in His values and then you're just living those things out. You're not just sort of asking God. You'll be an automaton and a robot and then God will make all the decisions for you. That's what sometimes our asking for a sign is. We're just asking for God to make all the decisions for us. Well, friends, that is not the end of the Christian faith. And our desire for signs can sometimes then be an aid or sometimes they can be an obstacle to the grand design of you knowing God and being more like Him. And that's illustrated beautifully. So I brought a clip from this movie, a favorite of mine, from Bruce Almighty. And here is Bruce. Okay, and let's watch him as he seeks signs from God. Okay, God. You want me to talk to you? Talk back. Tell me what's going on. What should I do? Give me a signal. I need your guidance, Lord. Please send me a sign. Oh, what's this joker doing now? Okay. All right. I'll try it your way. All right. Lord, I need a miracle. I'm desperate. I need your help, Lord. Please reach into my life. Uh, what the? So we all laugh at, um, at Bruce Almighty asking for a sign and he gets a truck full of them and just oblivious, right? But I want us to focus like a laser beam on those last two lines. Sorry, don't know you. Wouldn't call you if I did. <laughs> it, just takes, it takes about, you know, every 15 years Hollywood will get something right. And, and they got it right here. Because I want you to think about that. You remember whose number that is, right? You've seen the movie. Whose number is on the pager? Whose number is that? That's God's number. Sorry, don't know ya. Wouldn't call ya if I did. And that's so true of his character in that moment. He doesn't know God, doesn't care to know God. He doesn't want to be God's agent in the world. He just wants the vending machine. 
He wants to get his job back. He wants his relational chaos to be fixed. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to know God. Don't know you. Wouldn't call you if I did. So friend, would you be like scathingly honest with yourself here today? And maybe you claim that all you want is God's guidance. Just give me a sign. But what's really happening is not a request for guidance from God to know His will so that we can know Him and please Him and be His agent in the world. No, it's a demand that God tell us the future so that we can get something. We, God, God will be our, our, our magic crystal ball. We want God to then make the decision for us. And we can kind of go into autopilot, turn our brains off, don't have to deal with the anxiety of this complex situation in front of us, don't have to process vision, values, who I am, who God is, His express will for the planet. No, I don't have to process any of that stuff. Just, I just get the decision made for me. And can you believe here this morning that God has no interest in that? So, we want to take God responsibility out of our hands. And we want, uh, we, we want just God to make all the decisions for us. What about that enhances relationship? What about that makes you the kind of person God wants unleashed in the world? So I'm going to end this talk where we began it, with GPS. You, you know, GPS is great, except for one thing, and that's that we now have no need for an internal sense of direction. And some of you know this, because you had a little, little, tiny little sense of direction, and now after you got a phone, and GPS on your phone, it's all but, it's gone. It's, it's now, you're lost. If you ever lost your phone. And that's because GPS takes all your decisions away and makes them for you. And, and then without the GPS you're leaning on, you would be lost. And I got a great illustration of that this week. Some of you might have seen the pictures on Facebook. The staff went down to LA. We did a one-day conference. And it was a super quick little turnaround. So we flew in on Sunday night. We flew out on Tuesday. So we had to book it. We're landing. There's like, I don't know, eight or nine of us or whatever. And you know, you're getting a bunch of people from the airport to the baggage claim to the car rental place. And I don't remember like lifting my head during that whole thing. We're just like, we're stuck in the phone. It's like, where do we go to get the rental car? And then once we're in the rental car, it's like, where do we go? Turn right, turn left. And my eyes are almost as much on the phone as they are on the road. I had GPS, so, you know, I just didn't have to worry about anything. My reliance on it was total. But if for any reason I had lost my phone, or let's say we had all lost our phones, we utterly, utterly lost in a city of 14 million. And you say, well, what's the, well, look, back in the olden days, can I tell you how this would have gone? Back in the olden days, I would have landed in a city I'd never been in before. I would have just paused, and I would have opened up a map. And I would have oriented myself in the grand picture of the earth that everybody carries with them at all times and would have oriented myself on where I sit on terra firma. Like just where am I? And I might have gone outside and looked at the sun. And I would have found true north. And I would have just got myself, say, okay, all right, so that means the ocean is going to be that way and that means the mountains are going to be that way. And that means based on the map that my destination is going to be kind of that way. And I would have got myself oriented. I would have closed my eyes and imagined where that spot is. And then looking at my surroundings, I would have imagined the route that I needed to take. And then each and every mile of the journey, I would have been, here's the word, oriented. Oriented. 
And if I had to take a detour for some unknown reason, I would have roughly known the direction to get back on the right track. So instead of having GPS, I'd be a globally positioned kind of person. I used to be a globally positioned person. And I'm not anymore because of these. It's something that GPS took away from us, friends. Now, Gideon asked for signs, and he got them, but he got them in the context of God's word, God's spirit, God's circumstances, which changed him into a brave man who could now make decisions based on what God had already said without demanding that God make all the decisions for him. And that's what we're going to get to next week, just a little sneak peek, all right? He's going to make the most amazing and stunning decisions on the battlefield that you would go, whoa, where'd he get that idea? To our knowledge, he didn't ask God for a single sign or direction from the point that the battle was engaged to the time it was done. But he was asking God for everything. Every little move wasn't going to be made unless God confirmed, confirmed, confirmed. Because God is now changing him into a different kind of person. Do you understand? A person who's God's imager on planet Earth. A God who, or a guy who carries God's vision and values along with him and no longer needs God to be his vending machine to deliver a decision for every single fork but who with the Spirit of God and the the nudge on the inside in congruence with God's Word is now God's man for this time, for just such a time as this. And maybe that's God's vision for you. God wants to grow you in relationship. And can you believe that He wants to turn you into a certain kind of person more than He wants to bring you to a certain kind of destination in terms of your career or spouse or retirement plan? Can you believe that? The question is this. Are you willing to press into God so that when you don't get the immediate little thing that you want, that you'll keep pressing in through the unanswered sign and wait for answers and abide by the ones that He's already given in the meantime and then launch out of relationship built on trust and where God doesn't give you all the answers or make all the decisions, He has nevertheless always given you Himself. And that will be enough. Let's pray. God, may we be the kind of people who are positioned in You. We are oriented in You. And that's Your end game. And so in so doing, Lord, may we walk with a lightness in our step, with more joy and more freedom from the anxiety of all the many different decisions that we have to navigate. Freer, Lord, because we know whose we are and we have you. And so may we image you in our world, in our families, in our workplaces. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.